like to say if you're joining us for the first time, you've caught us at a great opportunity because we're at the very beginning of a year-long series that is simply titled Foundations. And throughout this whole year of 2018, we are going to look at uh, what our spiritual foundations have been or what our foundations that we've built our life on to this point have been. And we're going to compare them with God's Word and see what some of the spiritual foundations are that maybe we need to replace those things with. Uh, Andrew mentioned resolutions, and I'm proud to say that I have been resolute. I kept my resolution of losing one pound this year. I did it. It's the same one every year. I lost one pound. I know I lost one pound because a few weeks ago I got on the scale that said one at a time, and this time, yesterday I got on the scale that said thank you. So I know I did it, all right? I've kept with my one pound resolution, so... Hopefully you all can match my tenacity and uh, we can keep going. I also tell you that because it falls right into my introduction. There's a gentleman who wrote a book and it was Dr. Gary L. Green. And he wrote a book called Now What? Spiritual Discernment for Cultural Encounters. It's a kind of a missionary book, if you will. And uh, he wrote in this book, he said that the, uh, in Roman mythology... There was a God of beginnings and transitions, and he's known as Janus. His name was Janus, J-A-N-U-S, which I thought was kind of a girl's name, for, but they referred to him as a he. He's associated with gates, doorways, calendars, and things like that. And by the way, the word January, which is, as you know, is our month for annual transition, comes from Janus, this mythological Roman God. Now, you may not know this, but Janus is usually depicted as a god with two faces. One face looks backwards, and the other face looks forward. And I got to thinking, you know why most New Year's resolutions don't work out so well? It's because the reality is, we're usually too busy looking backward at last year to focus on the change or, or the desire that we think we have that we want to do something differently this year. You don't believe me. Well, that's what Time Hop does on your Facebook page. Just when you think you've gotten over that bad day, you get a cute couple's pic of you and your ex that says something like, this was the best day of your life in 2017. And you're going, we've been broke up for six months. Day ruined because of Time Hop. We look backwards. Maybe, maybe you, uh, you, there's also one of those things that, that Facebook does, and it takes all of your pictures from the previous year, and it puts them into this cute little two or three minute video, includes music and everything, and it just starts playing. And you may be thinking, I wouldn't have put that in my video. No, I'm trying to move forward, but I can't because I keep bouncing back to these things, good and bad. Same thing, it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing, but maybe there was something good, and you just held on to that one good moment, and you're like, I can't let it go. How about this? We are two weeks into the new year. And one of the most posted things on Instagram, do you know what it is? If you have Instagram, it's your top nine most liked pictures of 2017. Now, I have a problem with that because one of the problems is I was some of the people that I follow, some of their top nine most liked pictures were they were in the hospital. It's like, how do you like that picture? This is me getting my gallbladder taken out at 2000 likes. What is wrong with us? Why did you like that? Some of those, and again, they, they may have been good things, but the problem is when you, we get to a new year 
and the first month of the new year, and even our news, looking back at 2017, this happened, this happened, this happened. We're in 2018. It's time to look forward. It's time to move on. See, the problem is we aren't ready to truly make changes in our life when we're continually reminded that even with our ex, we still had some good times. Or when we look back on that day when maybe my eyebrows were on fleek and 2,000 people liked my picture. You guys know what I'm talking about. I know. Fleek is a trendy word. It means it's on spot. It's perfect. That was one of those things that I saw on Instagram a lot. That was a most liked pick for people. Eyebrows on fleek and 3,000 people loved it. They're eyebrows. We can't move forward when we're hung up on that kind of stuff. What does that have to do with our spiritual foundations? That's the real question. And unfortunately, we do the same thing in our spiritual lives. We're, we're like Janice, this two-faced God. When someone tries to check in on our spiritual growth, we say something like, well, I'm a Christian, and we look all the way back to our baptism. We remember that day with such clarity and excitement for the moment that we think that was the day we arrived. And we look back and go, oh, I'm a Christian, look at me. And then somehow we fast forward from, from baptism uh, to many years of church activity, and we skipped over the whole spiritually maturing part. But we keep looking back and go, well, but I'm, I'm a Christian. That's why we need a refresher. That's why we're going to talk about foundations this whole year. Because it's time for us to stop looking back and thinking that we arrived already. And it's time for us to stop looking and reflecting on how great we think the past was. I've got a friend of mine that's in another church in, in our community. And one of the things he always talks about, he always goes, man, I remember back when I was in high school, it was so great at this church. Not this church, at the church he's at. It was so great at this church. And I said, well, if it was that great, wouldn't your church be like 2,000 people? Wouldn't it? I mean, if it was really that great then, with, with just the laws of, 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 of um, what? The laws of greatness show us that it would still be that great today. But the reality is, we make mistakes. The reality is that sometimes we take wrong turns in churches, in schools, in, in our families, in our, in our jobs. Sometimes we, we allow some things to spiritually go unchecked in one another's lives. But the reality is that now, two weeks into 2018, is the time to transition. It's time to face forward. It's time to ask questions regarding the significance of the past and how it's going to help you to live better in the future. I've got to tell you something about past and future and, and the time continuum and all that stuff. Just because we've always done it that way doesn't mean it was the best way to continue doing something. I know. As we look at foundations this year, I'm going to challenge you. I'll be calling on you to change your minds, to change the way you think about things. I will be calling on you to change your hearts, to change your actions as a Christian. Not based on my ideas, not based on my concepts, but based on the foundation of the Word of God. And I've got to tell you this, if we get to the end of 2018 and you are exactly the same person spiritually that you are today, then God's words have fallen on deaf ears and hardened hearts. Sometimes, or, or something to keep in mind this year, 
is that spiritual formation, actually, go ahead and get a pen out, because some of you are going to want to write this down. It's that good. You might tweet this later. This came from Dr. Gary L. Green. This is a quote from his book. Spiritual formation always takes priority over spiritual divination. And I'll say it again, and then I'll explain it. Spiritual formation takes priority over spiritual divination. But what does that mean? It means this. Here at Huntsville Christian Church, our focal point, your focal point, becoming more like Jesus is more important than trying to figure out what God is calling you to do in your life. That's the divination part. Okay, so, so our goal is that we become more like Jesus this year. And that goal is more important than trying to figure out what God's calling you to do with your life. Now, here's, here's the thing. I'm not telling you that God's will in your life doesn't matter. Don't walk out of here going, he is messed up. Did you hear what he said? I want you to focus on how spending time in God's word, how checking, continually checking the foundations that your spiritual life is built on and changing them when necessary, it will make all of us more spiritually mature. I believe that once we grow from spiritual infant to toddler to adolescent to to spiritual teenager to spiritual young adult, we become spiritually mature parents, if you will. And as that happens, there's no limit to how or where God can and will use us if the goal is spiritual maturity. Here's the thing. As you go through from being a spiritual infant and you go through these times of spiritual maturity and you know you're maturing because you'll read something or hear something in God's word and you're going to go, I never paid attention to that before. That thing that was just shared with me, that thing I just read, in order for me to act on it, is going to cause me to change a part of my lifestyle. It's going to cause me to change a part of my culture, of maybe who I hang out with, maybe what I'm watching, maybe what I'm listening to, what I'm reading when I'm not with God. And I'm going to have to begin to change. And those small changes are those places of spiritual maturity. Your actions, what you're going to do with what you learn from the Word of God is going to begin to help you mature in His Word along the way. And as that happens, His will in your life will become very clear to you. See, we, we get the cart before the horse. We, we get baptized and we're like, ah, oh, i got to find out God's will for my life. God's will is that you know and understand His Word. Did you spend time praying? Did you spend time reading it? Did you spend time with him? Start there. And as you mature, these actions, these things that God would have you do will become very clear. One of the basic foundational things I think we miss out on actually are two things that go hand in hand. And there are two words, and you could write these two words down because these are, these are some foundational things. And I want to challenge you while I'm talking about these two words. Think about your spiritual life to this point and think about maybe something in your foundation that you could chip away and replace with these two words. Some of you are going to go, oh yeah, this is great. And some of you are going to go, hey, that's not really your business. But I'm in the job of being in your business. <laughs> so here we go. Two things. They go hand in hand and they are foundational. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. The reality is, as Christians, and I don't just mean Christians right here at Huntsville Christian Church, I mean Christians throughout the world, we are not really very good at offering grace and peace to one another. Why is that? Well, the reality is because most days we're running around like a bunch of spiritual toddlers in a church nursery. That's mine. That's mine. I don't like that. 
We do that when we should be growing to become a congregation of mature Christians. Now, don't tune me out here. I'm, I'm not throwing rocks at you guys. I know very well the glass house that I live in. <laughs> I know that more times than not, I have a tendency to act like a spiritual toddler. I know, spiritually speaking, I can be selfish. I may not want to share. I may not want to forgive. I don't always... Sometimes we would rather offer revenge and punishment than grace and peace. And so the first step is to admit we have a problem. Now, here's what I want you to do. This is hands-on. Everybody in the room, I want you to look at somebody next to you, even if they're right next to you. Make eye connection. Stop looking at me. Look at the person next to you. And I want you to say this. Are you ready? First step. You're going to say this to this person. You can say, sometimes I don't offer grace. Sometimes I don't offer peace. No, not John doesn't offer peace. Insert your own name. Sometimes I don't offer peace. And I want you to say this. Look at this person deep in their eyes so you can have true accountability. And I want you to say, sometimes I'm a selfish baby. I am so proud of you all. The elephant in the room is now out and it's big. Admitting is the first step, so now we can get to work. I didn't want to single myself out there, so thanks for playing along. But you know it's true. In our relationships with our families, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our church family, sometimes we just are selfish babies. So what do we do about it? I got to looking through the Bible... And I also need to tell you, this message, this series for the month of January was planned out last year, okay? So if, so if, I'm, if I'm speaking some conviction to you, that's good. God has you here for a reason, okay? It wasn't something you did this week to offend me or hurt my feelings. It was probably something you did last year when I wrote this. But <laughs> I got to look it through the Bible. I was like, what are some of the basic things that we need to be better reflections of Christ? And you know what I found out? Starting in, the, in Romans and almost every book after that to Revelation. Each one of these books, each one of these letters that are written to different churches, to different people, start out, each one mentions grace and peace at the very beginning of the letter. I'm, I'm going to run through these, and, and so don't look for them up there. They're not, I'm just going to do this real quick. But I'm starting Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. It says this, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that's a lot of power in this introduction, okay? Stay with me. Through whom we have received peace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all Gentiles for his name's sake. And verse 6 in the letter to the Romans says this, Among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how Paul starts that letter. That's a good one. But let's look at, let's jump around. I'm going to look at 1 Corinthians. Same thing. 
Paul called as an apostle of Christ Jesus as the, by the will of God and, the, uh, and Suthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians, same thing. Uh, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Titus, little, little three chapter, little small letter. Titus, and Paul still says, to Titus, my true child and a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Even in, in Jude, Jude, Jude 1, 1 through 2, Jude, a bondservant of, Christ, of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, who are the called beloved in God the Father and kept um, for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Every letter from Romans to Revelation starts out with those two words in it. From the longest to the shortest of letters written by Paul, even written, uh, the letter written by Jude, they start them off with grace and peace to you. Now, first off, if you have someone like Paul writing you a letter and it starts off with grace and peace, he's getting the reader ready. And some of his letters, uh, they were encouraging. Some parts of his letters. Some of them were written to hold churches and their leadership accountable for moments of spiritual immaturity. Some of them, he even called people out specifically by name in their actions. But notice how he doesn't start out his letters. He doesn't say to the church in Ephesus, punishment and God's wrath to you for being morons. He doesn't say that. He started grace and peace. Yes, I'm going to tell you some things. I'm going to straighten you out. But you need to know it comes with grace and, and God's peace. Uh, to the church in Rome, he doesn't say, I'm sending you to a spiritual timeout and a smiting from God for being judgmental and racist towards your brothers and sisters in the faith. He doesn't say that. That's a part of his letter, though. He calls them out. He says, he says quit acting like this. You might want to read that. That's kind of my translation of those letters. But he doesn't do that. He starts every letter. Grace and peace. Have you ever had somebody just about to give you what for? And they come up and say, I'm going to do this in grace and peace. I'm going to do this for you. No. No. We don't hold back. As we look at our foundations this year, we're going to spend the next three weeks looking at the first chapter of Philippians, verses 1 through 14. And there's something that I got to thinking about with this. I was actually going to have verses 1 through 14 was going to be one sermon. As I started working on it, I was like, there's so much here. The, just the, the beginning of Philippians is going to be three weeks. And, and I think as I was looking through this and looking at Paul's life, after his conversion, it's like he finally figured out a large piece of his foundation. You see, in the first part of his life, he built himself firmly on a foundation of law and tradition and history and even prejudice. But after God opened his eyes, he took all of his official trainings and he used them to understand and fortify what he knew of Christ. And it turned all of his approach around. He thought that he was a learned man of God, but what he really learned of God was the grace and peace that God showed him on the day that he was blinded. It's ironic when he lost his sight was when he began to see exactly what it is that our God is all about. And then he began to share that grace and peace everywhere he went. 
As we read about Paul's journeys and his ministry, we see that he still made mistakes. He was not a perfect man. He made mistakes along the way. And and he also had to grow from a spiritual infant to a mature spiritual parent. And God redirected him a few times of of some of his own thoughts. So let's look here in uh, uh, these foundations that we're going to talk about from Philippians chapter 1. And actually, I'd like to challenge all of you to read Philippians, the whole book, once each week during the next three weeks, uh, and, and you'll get a better feel for where we're headed. Here we go. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense of and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Verse 11, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, the gospel is preached. And then he goes on in verse 12 and says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Now, we're going to get into that a lot deeper in the next two weeks, but right now I want to stop right with just the first two verses. Paul starts out his letter, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to do something here today that preachers aren't supposed to do. I'm going to break some of the rules. But I believe that if we don't know we're doing something negative or destructive, then we won't ever change the behavior. And so it's my job to point out this to everyone. So know this, like Paul, I'm sharing this with you in grace and peace, in the grace and peace of Jesus Christ. I'm going to share this with you so that we can all have a moment of reflection on our foundation, on the things we've been building on as individuals and as a church. And we can think about what we can do differently in the future so that we can mature together spiritually and honor God better with our interactions with one another. There's no easy way to say this, and so I'm just going to say it. And just so you know, if if you're wondering where some of my thoughts come from this, I've been in ministry now 20 years. Found that out the other day. Um, Matt Pittenger and I were doing a thing for the Bible bookstore for pastors. I said, how long have you been in in ministry? And I had to have him do the math for me because I'm getting old. But this year is 20 years, so... I've experienced some of these things. Now, not all of it has happened right here at Huntsville Christian Church, but these are things that I've experienced, and I want to share them with you so that we can avoid them. 
All right. So don't start thinking about someone you wish was here so they could hear this either. You're here. And so that means you need to hear this. And one of the things I've noticed in ministry is that grace and peace is one thing that is very seldom offered to staff and leadership in a church. When it comes right down to something, grace and peace is not usually offered to ministers and to elders and to deacons. Now, you, you, some of you may be nodding your heads and going, yeah, I've seen that. Some of you are like, no way. We love the preacher. And, and that's, that's not what we're talking about. But I will tell you this. You would be surprised if we recorded the things that have been said to Andy and myself and the elders and deacons during the week or even on a Sunday morning before church and then just played back the audio, you'd be like, whoa, that was really said to them? You would really be surprised if we played back the video. (laughs) You could match up who said what. (laughs) Or if we shared some of the emails that we've received. And I don't bring this up to shame anyone, okay? Because as far as things happen, we talk about it, we, we do. I know this is going to be like, well, this is a spiritual answer, but it's true. Something happens, we talk about it, we pray about it, we move on. We're not, I'm not holding grudges, but these are things that happen in our church. These are things that happen in God's church. And we can't be good reflections of Christ if that's the way we're treating people, whether it's Huntsville or other churches that I've served at or other churches that you have, have gone to. But it happens. And I bring it up so it doesn't have to continue. Um, the, the first thing out of our mouths should be grace and peace, not complaining and arguing. And just so you know, I'm also well aware of my ability to let you down and disappoint you. It will happen. My question is, are you aware of your ability to tear me down when it happens or to take a moment and pray for me before coming at me with vengeance and justification? And I'm not speaking just like at Lillian or Janet. I'm just, in general, think about what you know of church. And some of you may be your first time in church and you're like, wow, that's how it is. I don't want to be there. I just want to, very candidly, all churches are full of broken, messed up people. That's what they are. They're hospitals for people like me who need to be spiritually well. That happens from accountability. It happens from love. It happens from preaching messages like this in love, in grace, and in peace. Okay? It's good for us to consider that maybe John, or insert your elder's name here that let you down this week, is having a bad week. That's why they didn't call back or had to change the meeting date or something come up. They may actually be dealing with something or someone else's issue at that moment, and it physically and spiritually is taking a lot out of them, and it's more important than your cat is stuck in a tree, or whatever. So how can you offer grace and peace to us? I know, and I've had this said to me before, you get paid to get beat up on. (laughs) Now that was not said here. That was said, honestly, that was said at another church, that I, I get paid to get beat up on. It's just part of your job. That's what, you're in ministry, there it is. It's part of your job. You get paid to get beat up on. You're the face of the church, deal with it. That's what people will say to us sometimes. Or my favorite one is, well, you're the minister, you shouldn't act like that. If you're a Christian, we are all called to be ministers of the gospel. You shouldn't act like that either. All of us. Over the years, I've heard some less than average things said to or about some of our volunteers. The problem with church is we get comfortable with each other, like family, okay? 
And, and when you get comfortable, sometimes you forget that your volunteers are volunteers. <laughs> Same Sunday school teacher for years, and you think that gives you a right to say something mean to them or about them. Same elders and same deacons serving and day in and day out. And we forget that they're volunteers. I've heard some less than average things said about Sunday school teachers, both adult and children's teachers alike. I've also heard less than average things said about worship in different churches and different congregations. About songs that we sing or the way that we sang them. Or, or videos that were played or the way that something was arranged. And it always starts out with, why did you do it that way? Well, obviously, we thought that was kind of a neat way to present something. <laughs> Didn't mean to offend you. But think about those things. Constructive criticism is only constructive if it's done with grace and peace. Other than that, it's just criticism. Over the years, I've heard people complain about things like wall color and carpet. One of my favorite things that we complain about at Huntsville Christian Church, and I've been here 10 years, and I've heard it off and on for 10 years at different seasons, that we don't have a cross on the stage all the time. Yep, you're right, we don't. Right now, we just have a door that says Jesus, because He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I asked somebody, why do we need a cross on the stage? You know what their answer was? We've always done, you know what the other answer is? Every church I go to has a cross on a stage. You have to have a cross on the stage. No. I want to tell you something, and this is going to sound ugly, but it really is coming. It's grace and peace. I don't worship the cross. I worship Jesus Christ, who died on that cross, but rose from the dead, and that cross couldn't keep him down. The only thing that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, is in reference to communion. This bread and this juice. You take these things. You remember my body. He never said fly banners throughout your building to remember me. He never said put crosses in all of your rooms to remember me. He never said those things. Relics, that's what they're called in the religious world. Other religions love relics. I don't need relics. You don't need relics. I'm not going to say we'll never have a cross in here. We've got one in the foyer. I love it. All right, and, and, and it, as it works for the things we're doing, you'll see the cross in here, but we don't come here to worship the cross. We come here to worship Jesus Christ, and He's not on that cross anymore. He's preparing a place for you in heaven. Amen to that. Don't get hung up on these little things that don't matter. He said, remember my body sacrificed for you. Remember my blood offered to cover your sins, all of your sins. And you know what else he did? That's why I like Jesus better than anybody else that was a great teacher or, or, or whatever. He offered grace and peace to the people that betrayed him. He offered grace and peace to the people that scattered when he was arrested and left him hanging by himself all alone. He, after he rose from the grave, he began to physically be with people again. He didn't condemn any of those people. He didn't go to Thomas and condemn him. He went to Thomas and he said, touch my hands, touch my side and believe in me again. That's what I love about Jesus. He went with grace and peace. Thomas is standing there in one minute going, I will never believe that he rose unless I see him with my own eyes. And Jesus showed up. He said, Thomas, touch me. I am real once again. 
That's what I love about Jesus. He came, he rose from the grave with grace and peace. He said to Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. He didn't say, Peter, if you love me, you would have never left in the first place. You would have never denied me. He had every right to say any number of things. And he simply said, if you love me, feed my sheep. And that's grace and peace in action. We need to allow ourselves to become more like Jesus in that regard. He could have condemned people while he was on the cross. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have done a number of things. But you know what he did? He offered grace and peace. And he started with a thief on the cross to one side of him. He told him, you'll be with me in paradise today. And to you and to me. He could have spoken condemnation on the disciples for scattering, for doubting, for denying, but he didn't. Instead, he offered grace and peace. The two go hand in hand. Many times, the only thing we can offer someone is a prayer for God's peace in their life. I've got a friend of mine um, in Florida, Scott Blount, and the last three months of his life have been chaos. And he's a solid Christian man. He's a mentor in my life. But if, if it could go wrong for them, it's gone wrong. And I was talking to him and I was like, I don't even know what to pray for you anymore, so I'm just going to pray for peace. And he said, and grace. Because we are going through some things. And I was like, there it is. Grace and peace. Sometimes that's the only thing we can do for one another. And more times than not, that's the best gift we can give to somebody is not a piece of our mind, but when we've been offended or hurt or challenged, the gift of grace and peace. We need to keep in mind that grace is not overlooking someone's sin. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not saying, oh, well, that's just going to happen. That's sin. And we're, it, Grace is not overlooking someone's sin and making light of a serious spiritual issue. Grace is still needed when we approach somebody for accountability and for restoration. Okay? For direction. Grace and peace should be at the forethought of how we approach every situation. And just like Paul's letters, some of them had strong accountabilities, had strong redirection in them. He even wrote to certain churches and said, hey, if these people won't change their way, send them out. But it all started with grace and peace for those that he was writing to, regardless of the content of the letter, regardless of a disciplinary action that was coming, regardless of what was taking place. And so as we come to our response time this morning, I want you to consider the people in your life. I want you to consider your family. I want you to consider your co-workers. I want you to consider the people in your life that maybe you need to begin offering grace and the peace of Jesus Christ to this year. Maybe you need to offer grace and peace to yourself first so you can offer it to others. Maybe this is the year that you repent and rededicate your life to being the reflection of Christ that you set out to be when you were first baptized. Step one to spiritual maturity is recognizing where your spiritual, spiritual growth truly is and not being satisfied with status quo. I don't want us to all be spiritual teenagers. I want us to all be spiritually mature people because that means we're bringing spiritually immature people into this place. And we're being a reflection of Christ to them. Never be satisfied with a spiritual status quo. Consider the foundation that you've been building on in your life. Maybe as of late, within the last few years, with this, the way the internet has just come full circle, 
Maybe your foundation has become Netflix or Facebook or Amazon Prime or binge-watching Hulu or gossip or feeling better about yourself because of information you know about others from social media. It's time to knock that part of your foundation down and begin to build on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ with grace and peace. Consider these things as we stand and sing our response song and we decide how to offer grace and peace to those that you worship and serve with this year. Will you stand and sing with us? Hey, it's been great to be here with you all this morning, to worship with you, to challenge you, to think differently about the foundation that you're building on. But now it's time to go. As you go this week, remember Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. You'll hear these a lot this year. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. As you go this week, go thinking about what you're building your spiritual house on. Go thinking about grace and peace, how you can share it with others this week. Go thinking about what part of the foundation you've been building your life on needs to be chipped away and replaced with grace and peace this week. Will you sing this last song with us?